When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. starcitygames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit starcitygames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, we're recording on a Sunday afternoon. What do you got going on? You know, I just finished up a pretty sweet stream on a streak of two ones. I am uh, having a good time during this format. How about you? How's your weekend? It's been busy. We had marching man, marching man, marching band. Uh, but the good news is uh, band plays third at regionals and we're moving on to semi-state. And I now have four days of fall break in front of me without marching band. Oh, baby. And I know how you're spending one of those days. 15 hour stream on Tuesday. Get hyped. Yeah, super excited about that. I just really think this is a pretty sweet format. I think the only thing that I've been, if I if I had to complain a little bit, and I do love to complain, um, <laughs> it would be that leagues makes it tough like I, I would much rather be playing in pod with this set i think just because facing like two demir decks or two boros decks in the same draft three matches is kind of tedious yeah especially if that's a weak matchup for your deck like if you're you know boros and you face two selesnia decks it just feels kind of bad yeah i agree well let's uh check in on the trophy leaderboard how you doing i now have 19 drafts under my belt six trophies and i'm 39 and 17 for a 70 percent rounded up win rate how about you oh i was just worked so hard to try and tank your win rate this week while i was skyping in Looks no like I, we trophied. I helped out a little bit that's true we did have that sweet golgari deck that we trophied with uh i am 46 draft seep uh with 11 trophies uh 90 and 46 win loss record for a 66 percent win rate so nice just steadying out with my my two one records so today we've got a pretty sweet show like we said last week we we sort of gave an overview of each of the five guilds and now over the next few weeks we're gonna take two decks from the format and break them down week by week. This week, we're going to look at Izzet and Golgari, uh, trying to take like what we think are like the best decks and maybe some of the, the weaker decks. I feel like the, the green is bad is still a myth out there. And we're going to try and dispel some of that this week because I've been enjoying my green decks in the format when they come together. And I know Ben has as well. Uh, but before we get into any of that, we got to talk about the Patreon baby and big news this week. Thanks to all of our new patrons that we'll be welcoming in just a few minutes. We unlocked our first stretch goal, Ben. Let's do it. I'm so excited to make videos with you. Yeah, so we're going to have now have monthly YouTube content for you folks. We're going to be doing draft videos sort of in a different style than I think folks have, have seen before. Hopefully, we're going to each join the same draft pod. I'll narrate my draft, Ben will narrate his, and then we're going to face the decks off together, giving side-by-side 
narration and commentary to give you thoughts and insights into our gameplay, how we think the decks are working out, sideboarding plans, all that good stuff. And of course, there will be some good old fashioned trash talk, I think is the term. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. Trash talk, uh, as the plebs say. So Patreon is is blowing up. We want to talk about the Discord every week. That's the place to be to talk about Limited. It is a fantastic resource to get real-time feedback from folks in the Discord, from me and Ben, about what's your 23rd card, how do you navigate this draft, how would you sideboard, anything like that. There's a ton of limited information there. We've got some cool stats being pulled together by some of our very dedicated patrons and Discord users, which we will be hopefully getting to share with you in the coming weeks. And we want to make sure we thank each and every new patron the week that they join. So we've got some folks to welcome this week to the fray. We want to thank Aria, Sean F., Logan, Sean B., Eric, Sam, Benaya, Ari, Chris, Thomas, Josh, Marin, Carl, Jeff, and David. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yes, thank you so much. And as another perk of our Patreon page, we have the Hero Patreon tier where people have sort of a direct line to you and I. And Generation D20 is one of those patrons. And we're going to take a look at his draft today for the roundtable. Yeah, so this is a really interesting draft. Excited to uh, to dive into it, Ben. So you want to want to take a seat here? I guess we're both sort of taking a seat here this time. But uh, I'll let you take take first crack at uh, at pack one, pick one. You see the following options. There's a Sky Knight Legionnaire, which is one red white for a 2-2 flying haste creature. Healer's Hawk, single white for the 1-1 bird with flying and lifelink. Demir Spybug, blue-black for the 1-1 flying menace. Whenever you surveil, put a plus one plus one counter on Demir Spybug. And your rare is Sacred Foundry, the red-white shockland. Yeah, this is a pretty weak pack overall. I'm disappointed by this as my first pick options. Part of me is trying to weigh Demir Skybug versus Sky Knight Legionnaire. I'm immediately ruling out Sacred Foundry. And I think between those two, they're both pretty committing. Like they're, you're not ever splashing either of those cards, I don't think. Which makes me almost wonder if Healer's Hawk is like the quote unquote correct first pick uh, because it's flexible and is very, very good in either Selesnya or Boros. It just keeps going up and up and up in my estimation. And I struggle to get them late anymore. So I think I just need to start taking them higher. I would be a little disappointed to first pick it, but it it does cross my mind that that might be the quote unquote correct thing to do. I think as it stands, though, I like playing Demir more than I like playing Boros, and I think I would probably be tempted by Demir Spybug. Yeah, I think I'm exactly on all of your lines of thought there that like, I don't know, maybe Legionnaire is better in a Boros deck than Spybug is. Maybe Healer's Hawk is the more flexible pick, but I would rather be Demir than the white decks. And uh, so I think Spybug as the pick here is fine. There's There's maybe an argument to like, you know, there's also a Blade Instructor in the pack. I feel like there's could be an argument of like, well, I could take Healer's Hawk and wheel Blade Instructor, but like the pack is so weak that you're not even guaranteed that. And I do kind of like taking Spybug as like the only good Demir card out of the pack. Yeah, makes sense to me. Generation D20 also landed on Demir Spybug. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. Direct Current, one red red for the sorcery, deals two damage to any target and has jumpstart. Demir Informant, two and a blue for the one four when it ETBs Surveil two. Dark Blade Agent, one blue black for the two three. And as long as you've surveilled this turn, it gains Death Touch. And whenever it deals combat damage to an opponent, you draw a card. Necrotic Wound, single black for the instant undergrowth. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of creature cards in your graveyard. If it would die this turn, exile it instead. And your rare is Runaway Steamkin, one and a red for the one one. If you cast a red spell, if this has fewer than three plus one plus one counters on it, put a plus one plus one counter on it and remove three plus one plus one counters from it to add triple red to your mana pool if you so desire and we have an uncommon missing from this pack yeah this 
is definitely a stronger pack than our first one. Um, something that I've been trying to hit home a lot to folks who are watching my stream and have questions about navigating drafts in this format. Um, I've had a few coaching sessions this past week and I've been trying to really nail this home that like picks one through three in this format. I think you really need to be on taking the most powerful, flexible picks because navigating the draft to find the open lane is the most important thing. So like breaking down pack one in terms of like three sections of picks one through three and then like picks four through eight and then figuring out what wheels like picks nine through 11 taking powerful, flexible cards for those first few picks and then navigating like what are the cards that are going later than they should in picks four through eight, that that might be a key to what is your your open guild that I think I just try and like reset each pick for like pick one, pick two. So I'm not trying to like t- stay tunnel visioned on like, well, I took Demir Spybug, so I got to hold on and take Dark Blade Agent here, which is a Demir card or Demir Informant or even Necrotic Wound, which is a fine removal spell, though I think might secretly just be a black green gold card like it's fine in demir but my creature count is often kind of low in in a demir deck like 13 14 creatures so if i just look at this as pack one pick one regardless of my demir Demir spy bug pick i think i'm on runaway steamkin that card has really impressed me in uh in both is it and boros and i think is strong it it's unclear to me whether it's better than direct current or not, just because direct current is such a house. I think you and I are just consistently impressed by that card. Maybe even you more so than I, but I think I would edge out runaway steamkin as just a really strong two drop in both of the red decks and grab that here. Yeah. So for me, this comes down to necrotic wound, runaway steamkin, dark blade agent and direct current. And I'm tempted by dark blade agent a little bit just to go all in on Demir and see what happens. I've been very impressed by Darkblade Agent and Demir, but that seems a little bit like forcing to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Between Steamkin, Direct Current, and Necrotic Wound, I think Necrotic Wound is probably the worst of those three cards, but I do think it's close power level-wise to Direct Current and Runaway Steamkin. And then between the two red cards, I have not had a chance to play with or against Runaway Steamkin yet, but I do like Direct Current a lot. I think I would be on Direct Current over Runaway Steamkin, uh, just because of how important it is to both the Boros and Is It decks. But I think ultimately I would take a little bit of a hit in power level here. And I think take Necrotic Wound to stay on target with my Demir Spy Bug so far. It, that feels just like you're you're holding on to Demir Spy Bug a little too hard. Maybe, but if Black ends up being open, you're going to feel like pretty bad about having passed a Necrotic Wound. Like Direct Current and Runaway Steamkins aren't cards you're going to be splashing either, I don't think. No, not at all. So I guess there, I think the difference between you and me is that I think you probably have a larger power level gap in your brain than I do between those two red cards and Necrotic Wound. Yeah, I think I do. I think I think of Necrotic Wound much more like a Golgari card than you do. Yeah, that's fair. I've been happy playing Necrotic Wound in my Demir decks. Yeah. All right. Well, Generation D20 grabbed Direct Current here as well. So with a Demir Spy Bug and a Direct Current in your pile, you see the following cards in pick three. Sonic Assault, one blue red for the instant. Tap target creature. Sonic Assault deals two damage to that creature's controller and it has Jumpstart. There's a Parhelion Patrol, three and a white for the two, three Flying Vigilance Mentor. There's a Barging Sergeant, four and a red for the four, two Mentor Haste. And there's an Affectionate Indrik. Five and a green for the four four. When it ETBs, you may have it fight target creature you don't control. Yeah, I really liked how you framed the last pick in the context of like trying to draft picks one through three as a chunk, picks four through eight as a chunk, and then wheeling as a chunk. And I think Indrik here is head and shoulders above the other cards. And I think I would be slamming affectionate Indrik here and just trying to feel my way out from here. But it's a green card, Ben. It is a green card. I've been, you know, green right now is my winningest color. I do think power level wise, it's less than the other colors. 
but it's frequently you're the only person drafting green when you draft it when you're supposed to. And when that happens, your green decks, I think, are very good. Yeah, green is my winningest color as well, and I think it's for the exact same reason. And because of that, I, I look forward to drafting green decks now because they're they're always good when I get them. Like, my Boros decks aren't always good sometimes. My Demir decks aren't always good sometimes, but I'm moving into green only when it's open, and as a result, I've been enjoying those decks quite a bit. Right. I haven't been drafting green a lot, but when I do, it's been very good. Yeah. Um, so we're all on affectionate and Indra Kira as just being the most powerful card. Generation D20 as well. What do we got going on in pick four? Pick four, you see the following options. There's a Sky Knight Legionnaire, one red white for the 2-2 Flying Haste. Ornery Goblin, one in a red for the 2-1. When it becomes blocked or blocks something, deal one damage to that creature. There's an Is It Guildgate, the blue red tapped land. And I think that's about it. Yeah, this is another weak pack. I feel like I got to lump this pick, even though it's pick four, into like picks one through three. It's just like, I got to take the most powerful card. I'm not really seeing a strong signal. Sky Knight Legionnaire, I think, is like, if you are in Boros, it's probably the best common in Boros decks. Um, so I'm going to grab that here. I've already got a direct current if I'm taking the Generation D20 path, or I've got a Runaway Steamkin if I'm on my path. So looking to be a Boros deck probably after grabbing this this Legionnaire. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, if I took my route through the draft and I had taken Necrotic Wound, I've got Demir Spybug, Necrotic Wound, and Affection Indrix. So I'm in the Sultai colors, and there is really nothing for me in this pack in those colors. So I think for me, I'd be on Is It Guildgate with my route so far, and maybe looking to Audible into like a three or a four color control deck. Uh, and that's something we're going to talk about in the coming weeks. I think both you and I have started playing, branching out into four and five colors. And I think maybe it's a little bit more of an escape route uh, in a messy draft than like a tier one strategy. Yeah, I think an escape route or a like I took a, a bomb first and then I got past an, a different colored bomb second and then a different colored bomb third. Like a sort of like I want to play all these good cards. How do I do that and chain it together through a, a multicolor good stuff deck? But yeah, I think it's I think those decks can definitely be be viable in this format. Generation D20 also grabbed Sky Knight Legionnaire. What do we have? Pick five here. Pick five. You have another strong pack again. You see the following cards as options. Another Sonic Assault, a Demir Guildgate, Darkblade Agent again, and a Ledev Champion. One green white for the 2-2. When it attacks, you can tap any number of untapped creatures you control to give it plus one, plus one until end of turn for each creature tapped this way. And you can pay three green white to make a 1-1 Soldier Lifelink token. I think Ledev Champion is head and shoulders best card in the pack and makes me feel like I get to play probably what is our other best card in our pile so far, which is Affection to Indrik. And Ledev Champion 5th does feel like way too late for that card. So I would take it here and be looking to be Selesnya, I think. Yeah. And if I had taken my route through the draft, I think I would be staying on target with Darkblade Agent and trying to hold strong to some sort of Demir slash Sultai combination. Yeah, that's interesting that there's like two pretty different routes through this draft. And they both so far seem like they could yield good decks. Uh, if we just sort of look at how the rest of the, the draft shakes out for Generation D20, it does look like Selesnya is where he's supposed to be. He's got a, a Hatchery Spider, that's the rare 7 mana 5 7, uh, pick 7, and a Rosemane Centaur, the 3 green white 4 4 Vigilance Convoke, pick 8. Wield a couple like strong role players, wield a Healer's Hawk and a Generous Stray, like looking like green white was open, but then pack 2 kind of threw him for a loop, it looked like. So it looked like this was a, a tricky draft to navigate, but I do think green white ended up being fine for his seat, but just not a ton of those like powerful rares and uncommons that you hope to get opened at your table when you are in a green deck. Right. And I think the route, I took a slightly different route than the two of you. And I think that all hinged on me picking up 
necrotic wound pick two yeah because then i had slightly more black cards and i do think i'd have probably stuck out demir or sultai in some combination in pack one and then looking at the rest of the draft i think i'd have gotten pretty hooked up in demir yeah for sure yeah definitely even even with the cards that uh that generation d20 took you got like an atrata the silencer first and then like a couple of murmuring mystics you would have been sitting pretty there ben yep all right, so we're going to break down, as we said, two different decks today. We're going to look at uh, both versions of Is It. We do think that Is It has like two pretty different decks, so we'll look at both of those, and then we'll take a look at Golgari. Ben, you want to take us through the Is It decks here? Yeah, let's do it. So just as sort of a general game plan for Is It Aggro, I think you're trying to leverage some of the, the cheaper Jumpstart cards, like Sonic Assault, the one blue red, deal two tap target creature with Jumpstart, and maximize altitude. That's the single blue gives plus one, plus one, and flying with Jumpstart. And you're trying to use those to deal large chunks of damage with cards that benefit from spells being cast, like Piston Fist Cyclops, that's the 4-3 that can't attack unless you cast a spell. Erratic Cyclops, that's the rare 8 that gets plus X plus O equal to the number of spells you cast. We Dragonauts has been a huge force in this deck, one blue-red for that 1-3 flyer that gets plus 2 plus O for each spell you cast. Beam Splitter Mage lets you copy those spells that you target it with, like Maximize Altitude, and put them onto another creature as well. So this deck, I think a huge selling point for this deck is that it's largely centered around commons and uncommons, and We Dragonauts is hands down the best card for Is It Aggro. Um, you can just deal so much damage in the air out of nowhere. And then once you've stuck sort of a threat, a creature like We Dragonauts or a Piston Fist Cyclops, and you've gotten in, you know, 4, 8, 10, 12 points of damage, you have so much burn and reach in Is It Aggro. There's Direct Current, Sonic Assault, Inescapable Blaze that deals 6 to any target, and even Gravitic Punch in a pinch, that's the three red deals damage equal to the power of target creature you control to target player with Jumpstart. So there, Is It Aggro has a lot of reach. And I think that's one of the huge benefits of the deck is that it's got such strong ways to close out the game after you get in the first, you know, 12 to 14 points of damage. That is a lot of burn to have in a limited deck. Are there specific cards or specific starts that you feel like lead you down the path of of going Is It Aggro? Yeah, there's certainly some rares that make me want to play Is It Aggro. <laughs> I just so we I wrote some stuff in our show notes this morning and I just read Ethan's comment next to I my first rare here, which is about this. I cannot believe this is on the list, <laughs> which is risk factor uh, two and a red for the sorcery that lets you either your opponent chooses either they take four damage or you draw three cards. I think that card's pretty darn strong in is it aggro oh my god i just i just finished <laughs> talking to like 200 people on stream today about why that card is so bad i played against someone who had two of them and i still won it doesn't ever do the thing you need when people are like yeah but like you just get to deal four to them like not unless i don't want to and then yes i know you're drawing three cards but like i i do not think this is a good card even in multiples especially a singleton i just don't think this is a kind of card you want have you played with this yet uh i have not but i've had it played against me in my opponents is it aggro decks and it's been very impressive i think is it aggro is interested in both halves of this card and yes you might not like if your opponent's at three you might not get a deal four to them but if you've got a good is it aggro deck a card that represents Eight points of damage or six cards is a strong card in your deck. I am not a believer, but I still like you. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. <laughs> so Risk Factor does pull me into this deck. I think it shines in this deck. Erratic Cyclops, like we talked about, the 08 that gets pumped equal to the number of converted mana cost of spells you cast. Runaway Steamkin, the one in a red 1-1 one, one, that gets a plus one, plus one counter each time you cast a red spell. That's pretty strong in this deck, I think. And then mostly these uncommons really pull me into the deck. We Dragonauts. 
beam splitter mage getting that a little later i don't think you need to pick that one early but if you're getting a pick seven or eight beam splitter mage i think that probably means nobody at the table is playing as it aggro crackling drake the ccdd card as it were uh the 04 flyer that gets power equal to the number of spells in your graveyard or exile murmuring mystic is just busted in any form of is it that makes the one one flyers every time you cast a spell and inescapable blades to deal that last six points of damage so those all very strongly pull me into this deck and then anytime i wheel sonic assault i'm like in to drafting is it aggro that card is just such a house when you're trying to push through damage Sonic Assault is one of those cards, especially that I think you really want multiples of in this deck. Like one Sonic Assault doesn't make me feel like I have a good is it aggro deck, but three to four, that makes me really like want to look at the amount of blue and red cards that I have and try and build the most aggressive deck or aggressive version of that deck that I can, because I think Sonic Assault is just so much tempo and burn. Yeah, I agree completely. Three Sonic Assaults is when you start to be doing it. Now, I'm a little shocked to see, maybe not shocked, but to see Murmuring Mystic in this list, because while I agree that it's one of the most powerful uncommons in the format, I think, but it doesn't seem like it's quite at home here. It feels like Murmuring Mystic is trying to grind out value, whereas a lot of these, the rest of these cards look like they can do a ton of damage in one shot. And it doesn't seem like Murmuring Mystic quite lines up with that plan. Not exactly, but I think its raw power level is high enough that just every time you cast Maximize Altitude or Sonic Assault or Direct Current, just getting a free 1-1 flying body is a way to pressure your opponent. And I think it gives you sort of an alternate win condition. And I think if you have to take a turn to slow down to start getting some 1-1-1 flyers, that's not a big deal. All right. That makes sense to me. So one of the big things I have at the start of the format is how people end up in decks. I always see these sweet deck lists posted and I always want to know how did you get there? So for me, uh, if I end up in is it aggro, the most common way is that I started with good quality red or blue cards, especially, you know, some of the red removal, like direct current or things like that. Um, and then the cards that tip me actually into ending up into is it aggro are cards like, you know, picks four through eight beam splitter mage, piston fist cyclops, those kinds of things. If I'm drafting blue or red, wheeling Sonic's assaults, if I've already got some Izzet cards or some good red cards that would go well in an Izzet deck, that's a strong push towards Izzet aggro. And getting Wii Dragonauts at any point ever in the draft is also a very strong push for me to try to play an aggressive Izzet deck. Now, what does a, a general like composition of this deck look like in terms of like a curve? If I want to look at my, I finish an Izzet draft and I'm trying to compile like 23, 24 playables plus lands... What do I want to, that that composition of like creatures and spells to be? And what do I want a general curve to look like? Is it a lot of twos and threes? Is it, does it not really matter as much because of jumpstart? Do you feel like you get clogged more on three drops just because of that's where the power level is of like direct current, sonic assault, we dragonaut, cyclops, that sort of thing. What, what does the curve look like here? Yeah, I think, well, first of all, let's just talk about the creature to spell ratio. I think you often want about 11 to 13 creatures and 11 to 13 spells. And, you know, that can change and push and pull a little bit, depending on what each of those things are. It's tough to give a hard and fast rule, but you have to make sure in Is It Aggro that every creature you put in really pulls its weight because the spell slots are so, so, so valuable. Mm. So you really are interested in sticking an early relevant threat like Wee Dragonauts or Piston Fist Cyclops and then getting in like 8, 12 points of damage with that and then finishing your opponent off with spells. Um, so really, really, really having your creatures matter is very, very important. So if we look at your creature curve uh, in the one drop slot, Goblin Banneret is great. 
in the two drop slot, Goblin Electromancer is very strong in both versions of Izzet. And then Ornery Goblin and Vidalcan Mesmerist. It's pretty important that your two drops have two power, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moving on to the threes, you got Piston Fist Cyclops, Leapfrog as a three powered flyer most of the time, and Smelt Ward Minotaur. It's two three that can help remove blockers when you cast instants and sorceries. Cackling Drake in the four drop slot is very strong. And then in the fives, Barging Sergeant has been surprisingly good. The four two haste with Mentor. And Watcher in the Mist is obviously just an all-star card in any deck. And then if you look at the spells, uh, that kind of what you want in is it aggro in the one-drop slot. Maximize Altitude, I think, takes precedence over Maximize Velocity, but you're happy with either of those. Two-drops, Lava Coil is Busted Removal. Sure Strike, Unexplained Disappearance, and Radical Idea also all pull their weight here. And then the three-drop slot for your spells, your bread and butter is Direct Current and Sonic Assault. Both of those are outstanding. Four drops, Cosmotronic Wave can help you push through a huge amount of damage and I think is at its best in Is It Aggro. Gravitic Punch, also playable in a pinch if you're going to need something to help you close out the game. And then in the fives, Command the Storm and Hypothesizzle are fine. And in the sixth slot, Inescapable Blaze is outstanding in this deck. So I think that rounds out like just kind of a snapshot of the spell curve and the creature curve for Is It Aggro. That's really great. I have a few things that I'm noticing about this list of cards that you've created here. One is I don't see any mention of Fire Urchin in your two-drop slot for creatures, though I think that may be something that a lot of people would read and go, oh, this cares about instants and sorcerers being cast. This is the one in a red, one, three with trample that gets plus one plus oh when you cast an instant or sorcery. But you don't have that on here. Yeah, I just think you want cards that have two power intrinsically. Like, so that that sort of has like 1.5 power in my brain, and you're just literally looking to push as much damage as possible in this deck. Yeah, I don't think... uh, a card that requires work to become a 2-3 and then like you really feel like you're doing it when it's a 3-3 for like one turn of the game that's not where you want to be in is it at all um i also wanted to talk about where you think card draw exists like i see you have radical idea here but you don't have chemistry's insight is there any rhyme or reason to that do you see like spending four mana to draw a card is too much or draw two cards is too much no chemistry's insights busted and i would play it in this deck 10 out of 10 times so card draw in and of itself doesn't feel like it's pulling away from this deck's game plan at all because it's still triggering your spells matters creatures is that why right it still lets your piston fist cyclops attack it still gets your leapfrog into the air to deal three damage and it just keeps fueling you like is it aggro sort of turns cards into damage so the more cards you end up with the easier it is to burn your opponent out i think and can you talk a little bit about like when you're playing maximize altitude versus when you're playing maximize velocity because those cards i i feel like i do have a pretty good handle now on like maximize altitude plus cards like piston fist cyclops or like on barging sergeant i got to do that today just being able to have like a five three haste mentor flyer out of nowhere feels pretty good But Maximize Velocity has not been a card that I felt confident in knowing when to include or not. Yeah, I'm not thrilled with Maximize Velocity. I do think it goes up in value when you have cards like uh, Wee Dragonauts, Mm -hmm. like the ability to cast a Wee Dragonauts and haste it is really, really, really strong. Uh, But generally, I would want Maximize Altitude over Maximize Velocity and probably only a one of as a Maximize Velocity unless I was really hurting for spells. Mm -hmm. That makes sense to me. And and the other thing that I'm just noticing here is... When we talk about the green decks, especially uh, when we get to Golgari later today, you'll notice a lot more uncommons and rares pulling me in into that kind of deck. Whereas here, I'm just noticing the amount of power at 
common that this deck has access to and the amount of instances of jumpstart. You know, I think I sort of wrote off in our crash course, the maximized cards, Gravitic Punch even as like, well, these are cards with jumpstart, but they're not cards you're going to want to play a lot, but they do seem to have a home here. And chaining together jumpstart spells is really, really powerful. Yeah, it really is. And I think even Sonic Assault, I wrote off in the set review. Like it just didn't look like it did enough until you played with it and saw how versatile it was. Yeah, for sure. So regarding number of lands in Is It Aggro, I think you still want 17. And often you really want six lands in play, especially two islands and four mountains. That's sort of the sweet spot because Direct Current and Sonic Assault are so good as three drops. So if you get those two islands, four mountains, you can double spell in the same turn with Sonic Assault and Direct Current. And that ends up being really relevant. So just make sure when you're playing these decks that you try to get four mountains down first in case you ever need to double spell Direct Current. So I've lost games to like pitching the wrong lands to jumpstart in the start of the format. So now I always try to be mindful of that. And that's another reason that Goblin Electromancer is so strong in this deck, because then with two islands, two mountains, you can double spell with direct current in the same turn. Goblin Electromancer just does so much and ends up saving you so much mana throughout the course of the game. Being able to cast Radical Idea for a single blue mana, all of those times where you're able to then double spell with like a two drop and then a two drop spell as a one drop feels really, really strong. And then finally, lastly, taking a look at sideboard plans for Is It Aggro. I don't think there's a ton of sideboarding options to this deck because it tends to be pretty hyper-focused on what it does, which is dealing damage to the opponent. Uh, but depending on how open is it was in the draft, I think you can sometimes do a transformational sideboard thing into a slightly more controlling version of the deck. Um, specifically, you can tend to be really weak to X1 hate in the two and three drop slot. Like if you've got a lot of ornery goblins, Vidalcan mesmerists and leapfrogs, and your opponent is running cards like Mephitic Vapors or Cosmotronic Wave that punish those X1s, you might have to side out of some of those two and three drops and end up going into a slightly more slow version of the deck. Um, and against control, a card that I found outstanding is Disdainful Stroke. I'm fine main decking one of those in Is It Aggro and can board in, you know, up to two or three, depending on how dirtily your opponent is. But trading two mana for four plus mana is really, really strong and helps you outtemple your opponent. And again, another nod for Goblin Electromancer. When you get to just hold up a single blue and Disdainful Stroke something, you feel like you really got them. Yeah. And I think your worst matchup with this deck is probably a removal heavy deck because you have so few relevant threats and each one of them matters so much. So, you know, if you've got two weak Dragonauts and your opponent deadly visits both of them, you're just up a creek without a paddle a little bit sometimes. Yeah, for sure. This is something I've felt as we'll, we'll get into uh, with with Demir in the coming weeks, but needing more finishers because the removal is so good in this format for the most part and so present in almost all the colors that definitely definitely has happened to me with these low creature count decks. Yeah, it's a little bit of a glass cannon, but it is a very powerful glass cannon. Well, and I think Jumpstart makes it feel so much less like a glass cannon because like even if they deal with your creatures, then maybe they're at eight or ten and maybe you can just burn them out for the rest of the life that they have. Yeah, it's very possible. So then taking a look at the sort of sister version of this deck, which is is it control? Uh, the game plan is sort of to try to leverage an abundancy of quality removal and card advantage in the is it colors to try to get to the late game and then win with any variety of finishers. And the other thing is that playing good jumpstart spells in is it control lets you turn lands into spells. So that's a great way to gain pseudo card advantage because you have 
built-in flood insurance with your good jumpstart spells, and presumably your opponent does not have that same excess. So what sorts of cards in the rare and uncommon slot are pulling you into this version of Visit Control? There's a lot more. This one's a lot more rare and uncommon based than common based. So some of the best rares, Niv-Mizzet, Ral, Izzet Viceroy, and Expansion Explosion, those are all strong cards to playing Is It Control. And then some of the uncommons, We Dragonauts is great in both versions. Beacon Bolt, that's the one blue-red that deals X equals the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard, and you can jumpstart it back. And a, an interesting thing that you in chat pointed out to me when I was streaming the other night with Beacon Bolt is that when you jumpstart it, if you pitch a spell to the jumpstart, you can up your spell count by one before it resolves. Yeah, you were trying to kill like a siege worm with that, right? Yep, and I needed my fifth spell, and I pitched a spell, and I wouldn't have known to do that if you guys hadn't pointed it out to me. Chat advantage. So for anyone else that struggles like me, yep, you can get the chat advantage too. Crackling Drake is great. Murmuring Mystic still great. And League Guild Mage, I think, is much more at home in control. Uh, that's the blue-red for the 2-2, three and a blue tap draw card, and red X to copy an instant or sorcery with converted mana cost X. And then at common, Hypothesis is also very, very, very strong. And is it control? Yeah. League Guild Mage has impressed me a lot just as being a good two-drop and being a great mana sink. I mean, again, jumpstart decks don't need a ton of help in terms of like finding places to put mana because a lot of your spells can be cast twice. Um, and I also have found that League Guild Mage, just another... Pat on the back for Goblin Electromancer. In conjunction with Electromancer, it's not that crazy to be able to copy like your three mana spells with League Guild Mage. Oh, yeah. So in terms of navigating the draft, is it the same kind of thing of like, well, I'm just starting off with powerful blue and red cards, maybe a bit more rare focused, and that's how I know I want to lean control versus leaning aggro? Yeah, I think similarly, uh, starting blue and red, good removal usually, but getting some great uncommons or great rares early, like Murmuring Mystic, We Dragonauts, any of those rares I mentioned, Ral, Niv-Mizzet, Crackling Drake, uh, and just continuing to see blue and red cards. So I think the power level of the cards I have, the better my cards are, the more I want to tend toward is it control and the weaker individually and much more synergistic my commons and uncommons are that pushes me towards is it aggro. But I think, you know, if you've got the card quality, is it control is certainly the way to go. Yeah. So um, just looking here, we've got in the show notes, you've got some breakdown of, of spell curve and creature curve again. One, I'm interested in what that looks like in sort of a, a broad sense of like, do you still want to be loaded up on on two drops? But also I'm interested in a couple differences I'm seeing here. And one is that you have Sonic Assault listed, but you say usually only one. Are you okay with Sonic Assault as a defensive spell here? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it just does so much. It's so tricky. Four damage tacked onto a card is fine. Being able to tap things twice, it's just relevant. Uh, enough, I think. Yeah, I've found that to be the case. And I found it hard to articulate that because I think people are like, no, it can't be a defensive spell because you wouldn't play that. You wouldn't play a spell like that at all. And I'm like, yes, that's true. I wouldn't play a spell that just said tap like that. That was just like tap a thing twice, deal two damage if I'm a control deck. But it doesn't only do that. Like there are times when you're ahead or you're racing and it does more than that. It's more than a like, give me time to set up, give me time to stabilize card. It just it does a lot of things in a lot of different situations in the game. It's a very flexible card. And I think it does pull its weight as one of and you do still want spells right. uh, in is it control. And like you said, you know, sometimes you're ahead and then you really want Sonic Assault and it just wins you the game. Like it's it's very, very powerful in a large number of situations or not very powerful, but good enough. Like it's just rock solid in so many situations. You're not unhappy having it. Even though it only it does the same thing every time you cast it, it feels kind of split cardy. And the fact that its applications 
or that affects applications are different depending on what state of the game you're in. And they're all relevant, it feels like. Right. And still just flood insurance. You know, the more jumpstart spells you have, the more flood insurance you have. So does that mean, I mean, maybe I'm jumping ahead of myself a little bit here, but does that mean you're on 18 lands in control versions of Visit? Uh, I think probably generally still 17, 17 to 18, 17.5. And still trying to be like, I'm trying to stop at six mana, trying to be like two islands, four mountains, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Any other pretty big differences in terms of like spell curve, creature curve, spell count, creature count from the the aggro version of the deck? Yeah, I think Chemistry's Insight really shines in the four drop slot and Devious Cover-Up has actually really been performing, I think, here and in Demir. So it's the two blue blue counter spell uh, and you exile whatever you counter and then you shuffle up to four cards from your graveyard back into your library. So these these decks can churn through their library and having two Devious Cover-Ups allows you to loop them and shuffle back in, you know, your fragile wind conditions like We Dragonauts or Murmuring Mystic once your opponent deals with them. So I've been pretty impressed with two devious cover-ups in Is It Control, either in the main deck or having access to them in the sideboard. I have not yet gotten to live the devious cover-up loop dream, but I can't wait to. It makes me so excited that like four mana counter spells are good and limited. I think it's also, I think we talked about this last week, has to do with the fact that Electromancer exists, like being able to cast cover up for three mana or maybe blue blue if you have two uh, goblins in play is is pretty big deal there. Yeah, I can confirm casting devious cover up, targeting the devious cover up in your graveyard feels pretty good. Other things that stand out, League Guild Mage, I think shines a lot more in control. And then just defensive creatures like Demir Informant or Wishcoin Crab, those match up pretty well against a lot of the aggro decks and, you know, give you some defensive tempo. Mm-hmm. I've liked uh, Wishcoin Crab and you also have Book Devourer here. That's the six mana, four, five in red. Having that fifth point of toughness against some green decks can really make a big difference. Yep, and it dodges things like Artful Takedown. Things with five toughness are just hard to kill in this format. They dodge Artful Takedown, they dodge Hypothesizzle. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are two great points. They dodge Lava Coil as well. Yep. As far as you know, cards that might underperform in Is It Control, I think you have to be careful to just not jam some of the aggro cards. So like putting Leapfrog or Beam Splitter Mage or things like that. Uh, just be careful about throwing in some of the more niche tempo cards in your is it control decks and similarly again you often want to run 12 creatures 12 spells ish somewhere in that area and if you have a really good build of is it control you can even run fewer creatures especially if you're on the two times devious cover-up plan so that you know you know if your opponent kills one of your two murmuring mystics that you can loop them back in Mm. so i've seen some pretty low creature versions that have trophied on the internets yeah yeah that makes sense and then as far as sideboarding when you're against a control deck like we've talked about again having two two devious cover-ups is really strong. Uh, and if they're not main deck, you certainly want access to them in the sideboard. Uh, getting decked is a very real problem for is it control decks after your opponent kills your last couple threats. And then when you're against aggro, I think you just need to make sure you pay attention to what sort of creatures your opponents play and what power and toughness they have. Um, Wall of Mist has been very good against Selesnya. It seems like the Conclave Caller and the Rosemane Centaur are both 4-4. So that 0-5 blocker actually does quite a bit of work against Selesnya. Similarly, Wishcoin Crab with the 5 toughness. So just paying attention to power and toughness and seeing what creatures you've got in the sideboard you could bring in the block well. Yeah, I think thinking about sideboarding in this way is so specific to this format about like thinking about the archetypes and how they match up against the other ones because there's really only five maybe six if we're counting both is it decks archetypes main archetypes that uh i think really thinking about sideboarding per deck is a is an important way to navigate those games two and potentially games three yeah and then just around things out here we've got a list of cards that 
overlap and are best at at their best in both versions of the deck. And those cards are Direct Current, Piston Fist Cyclops, Crackling Drake, Wee Dragonauts, Goblin Electromancer, and Hypothesizzle. And I think as a result of the fact that they're strong in both versions of the deck, they end up being pretty high picks for Izzet uh, in no particular order there. And then Ryan Sachs, also uh, one of our good friends and streamers, wrote a very, very nice uh, primer on how to play Izzet. So if you prefer digesting things in text form also, uh, we'll put a link to Ryan's article in the information when you download the show. Yeah, can confirm Ryan's article is gasoline on Star City Games. So that brings us to our next guild, which is Golgari. What does that sort of look like, Ethan? Okay, so Golgari, I think, is a deck that toes the line really well between aggro and control decks of the format, and I think can go head-to-head with either. I think this deck, much like Selesnia, the two green decks, are very dependent on strong rares and uncommons for its guild being open, but I think the support cards are there at common if you're the only black-green drafter and you can get a very powerful deck. The general strategy is to play cheap creatures that have effects either entering the battlefield or leaving the battlefield that can find their way to the graveyard pretty easily to help enable your undergrowth synergies later in the game. So I think last week we maybe said that this isn't as much an undergrowth synergy deck, and and there is some truth to that, but I do believe that good versions of this deck are taking advantage of good undergrowth triggers. And we'll talk in a, in a little bit about what I think those those good undergrowth payoffs are versus some some perhaps guild underperformers. Yeah, you and I had a great conversation about this on my stream. And I think what we ended up settling on was that the best versions of Golgari that have the really strong rares and uncommons really do want those early ETB creatures like rats and cats. Mm-hmm. And then that maybe slightly more common uncommon based versions of the deck that aren't quite as high in power level really want maybe some three twos and two twos that don't focus on undergrowth quite as much. Yeah, I think there are versions of the deck where you do navigate your seat correctly to be Golgari and pack one sort of presents that to you. And then just for whatever reason, packs two and three don't shake out in the sense that the good Golgari rares and uncommons aren't really opened or they don't make their way to you for whatever reason. And I think then you want to maybe stray away from those underpowered ETB creatures to some more three mana three twos and to some beefy rhizome lurchers, that sort of thing. But I think ideally you're navigating the draft to find this as your open guild and then you are getting rewarded by some powerful cards being opened and passed to you. Yeah. So what are those powerful cards? So at the rare slot, there is, uh, I think, a good chunk. Uh, we've got Assassin's Trophy, which is not only dollar dollar bills, but a great removal spell, being able to pick off enchantment removal or maybe like a, a troublesome Glaive of the Guild pack, that sort of thing. I think that the flexibility there is very real. Yeah, I've already watched a couple people streaming with Assassin's Trophy. And like I think your default is to think this kills a creature. And it kills any permanent. And I've seen some savage blowouts from blowing up like the white O-ring card. Yeah. Or, you know, like pacifism. So just keep in mind that Assassin's Trophy can target any permanent. Definitely. Good safety tip. Uh, Charnel Troll. This is a card I'm interested to talk to you about. Uh, This is a one black green for a 4-4 with Trample. Um, At the beginning of your upkeep, you have to exile a creature card from your graveyard or you sacrifice it. And then you can pay black green to discard a card from your hand to put a plus one plus one counter on it. This card feels like people think it's sort of an all or nothing kind of card. And I think this is a pull into the deck. It's very powerful, but I don't know if I'm on the on the turn three, play it, pitch my hand, cross my fingers and pray plan. What about you? No, this card's busted, but it's not a turn three play. It's like a double spell on turn six or turn seven type play. Yeah. After you've already got a couple, you want some some buffer in your graveyard, like two to three creatures in your graveyard, I think. The other reason I think this is a a curve topper or a a later game play is because it 
is anti-synergy with your undergrowth. It's actually pulling creatures out of your graveyard. So if you have other things that you're hoping to get undergrowth benefits from, having Charnel Troll in play over multiple turns and then not winning with it is going to be a real liability for your deck. All that said, I think the card is still very strong and would be a pull into into Golgari for me. In addition, some more rares, Find Finality, and now I feel like it's a standard all-star, but this is like the best sweeper in the format slash the best graveyard recursion in the format. Um, Speaking of graveyard recursion, Gruesome Menagerie and Vivid Revival are both at rare in both ways to get cards out of the graveyard, and both have been, I think, really strong role players in good Golgari decks that I've had. But I only have Gruesome Menagerie on this list because... Like Vivid Revival, I would play in any green deck. I think Gruesome Menagerie is more suited to Golgari than Demir, especially because you are playing. You can often get this as a three for one, and it doesn't take a lot of work in the game. It does take some work during the draft and deck building, though. Uh, Izoni Thousand Eyes is fantastic. Underrealm Lich is fantastic. Vraska, obviously fantastic. And Midnight Reaper as well, I think, is more suited to Golgari. Just like you play those little garbage creatures, and then they're going to leave the battlefield, and you're going to draw a card when they do so. Yeah, these rares are really good. And if you're the only Golgari drafter at your table, you're going to get past some of them and your deck's going to be very good. I think that's sort of how Golgari ends up working out. Yeah. So what about some of the uncommons that pull you into Golgari? So District Guide is a card that really impresses me. I think oftentimes black green can be splashing just a, you know, even off guild or off sister guild cards. Like maybe you have a Conclave Tribunal or a Luminous Bonds that you want to play. Though I think Bonds may be kind of awkward because of a card I'm going to talk about in a little bit. Um, But District Guide being a mana fixer, being able to find gates, you'll often have maybe some gate matters cards in these decks, like the Glaive of the Guild Pact or the Gargoyle. Um, So District Guide just seems really good. Again, you're going to see this, this theme throughout of creatures that cause one, two or three mana. If they have effects, when they enter the battlefield or leave the battlefield, that's going to be really strong. Glow Spore Shaman, I think, is maybe not like a pull into the deck. I don't feel like it's a reason to be in the deck. Um, but it is something that I, when I see that pick four through seven or whatever, and I've already got a couple black cards or a couple green cards, I might think about picking this up because it's its effect is so unique for the deck. Golgari Finebroker, the Gravedigger of the format, is absolutely busted. Status Statue, one of the best removal spells, again, giving black green access to killing artifacts and enchantments main deck is good and swarm guild mage is another card that if i'm seeing that pick four five six seven that's going to be a card that makes me go oh maybe maybe golgari is what my seat is supposed to be doing there's just a lot of strong cards Mm -hmm. in golgari now like green is bad yes that's true (laughs) yes but if golgari specifically is open i think your deck ends up pretty good yeah, I mean, you're not going to see a lot of like green commons on this list that I'm like, ooh, ah, I'm seeing the sixth pick. I don't see that as what's happening because oftentimes green cards are the final cards in the pack. But a lot of these cards, only one player at the table should want. And so when you think of a Golgari deck, you know, you think probably running 17, 18 creatures. I think most of my Golgari decks are in that range. What do some of those creatures look like if you sort of lay out a curve? Yeah, so I, I really think curve is very important. I looked at a lot of my strong Golgari decks, a lot of the Golgari decks that had been trophying in the Lords of Limited Discord, and they all seem to have a bunch of creatures at one, two, or three mana. Um, Portcullis Vine is a card I talked about last week as a card that I, I thought was maybe a, a sleeper common for the two green decks, and I really do believe it's quite strong in Golgari as a way to just like put something on the on the board early and then be able to sacrifice it to replace itself and then uh, fuel undergrowth in the future turns. Um, Hired Poisoner, I think, is a good one drop as the Death Toucher, and Pilfering Imp is another card. Again, these cards that do something on their way 
to enter the battlefield or leave the battlefield are important. And Pilfering Imp does just that, just is a spell effect. And I gotta say, I have found discard, targeted discard to be good in the format. Like, unless you're playing against Hyper Aggro Is It or an Aggro Boros deck, being able to nab a card out of your opponent's hand in the early stages of the game has felt pretty backbreaking on my end when I received that and felt pretty good to be able to like really strongly disrupt your opponent's developing stage of the game. I think the other thing that's underrated about that in this format is that the games are complex and hard to play and getting a look at your opponent's hand and getting able to navigate a game plan around what you know their next few turns are likely to look like is also a pretty strong advantage. Yeah, I mean, games are going long for me, even when I'm playing against Boros. If I'm a more controlling deck and I'm playing against Boros, they're going to turn 11 or 12. Like I have a period of that game where I've stabilized and then... And then you're praying. Yeah, and then I'm praying that they don't draw direct current and just like finish me off, you know, but... But even then, it does feel like, so the aggro decks can still win on turn 11, 12, 13, but it does feel like the games are going long. And so when they're going long, being able to to disrupt that opening stage of the game, I think is, is pretty powerful. Every time I play against Boros, and is it about turn eight or turn nine, I just find myself thinking, don't draw Sonic Assault. Don't draw direct current. Please don't draw inescapable blades. <laughs> yep. Yeah. It does feel that way. Like I remember, you know, remember an hour of devastation when uh, Inferno Jet existed, the like deal six to a player with cycling. You just, you never, and when you're played against a red opponent, you feel like you just can't go below six. And that's how I feel yep. now. I, I especially feel like I can't go below four because of direct current being able to just finish you off. But yeah, the burn in the format is real. So so those are the one drops I'm looking at. Two drops, I really like Burglar Rat quite a bit as a, a speed bump uh, that, again, does something on its way to enter the, entering the battlefield. Similarly, Glow Spore Shaman, Swarm Guild Mage, a strong two drop. And then, you know, Random Bears, Defcar and Dissident is totally fine. Or the, the Shield Mate, the one green-white hybrid, 2-2 two, two with Vigilance in a pinch. But you really do want those those ETB creatures. Burglar Rat, I think, is, is one of the best. You've got Generous Stray, Spinal Centipede at the three drop slot, District Guide, as we talked about. Plague Crafter, I think, is a really good card in this deck, especially when it's backed up by the good one and two drops. Being able to curve into Plague Crafter feels very strong, especially when you're sacrificing a card like Burglar Rat. And then as we move to the top half of the curve, we're going to see things that that now are caring about the cards being in your graveyard. Rhizome Lurcher, I think being chief among them, that's the two black green 2-2 that gets a plus minus one counter on it when it enters the battlefield for each creature card in your graveyard. Crawl Foragers in the five drop slot that gains life for undergrowth. Vigor Spore Worm, the 6-4, six drop that when it ETBs gives a creature vigilance and plus X plus X for the amount of creatures in your graveyard. All of those cards are really nice when you have uh, the start of the ones, the twos and the three drops. Um, if we look at the non-creature slots, so as we talked about, if you're looking at you know a 23 or 24 card deck with 17, 18 of them being creatures, you don't have a lot of flex slots. That's one of the reasons that the generous strays and the burglar rats of the world are so important because they give you a spell attached to a creature that's so important like playcrafter gives you an edict attached to a creature so you're getting some spell effects from your creatures because you don't have a lot of room for just plain spells so the the great black removal dead weight deadly visit and price of fame are all still very high picks necrotic wound i think really shines in the black green deck and the exile clause i have found to be surprisingly relevant in this format just because there are creatures that not only creatures that care about dying, like having death triggers, but also the fact that sometimes people have undergrowth cards and then 
denying them their creature to be in their graveyard is a pretty big deal. Um, we're now going to get to a card that has just so, so impressed me since we've started talking about this, I think like two weeks ago, which is Glaive of the Guild Pack. This is the uncommon equipment that cares about the gates you have. This card is fantastic because a lot of your creatures are underpowered because they have these ETB effects. So then getting to turn a rats or a cat into a relevant creature late in the game, like turning it into a 4-1 Vigilant Mentor is really, or not Vigilant Mentor, Vigilant Menace, sorry, is really, really strong and tough to deal with. And because there's also not a lot of ways to deal with those permanents, you know, Conclave, Tribunal, or Bust, basically. Yeah, Glaive is very, very strong, and I think a key card for success in both Selesnya and Golgari. Um, some weaker-ish removal spells, you know, Undercity Uprising, I think as a one-of is fine, depending on the amount of rats or cats that you have. Um, you, I would rather have this than Prey Upon because of, of the rats and the cats, but I'm not really looking to get two-for-one with this kind of effect, but I'll, I'll play it if I feel like I didn't get there with the black removal spells. Uh, same thing with Prey Upon, and Severed Strand seems to be a card that people are always like, why aren't you playing Severed Strands in your deck? Because it's bad. It's not a very good card. Again, if I've got like a rat and a cat, and I don't feel like I, ha- and I don't have a Deadly Visitor or Price of Fame, if I need a way to just kill a thing dead, sure, I'll put it in my deck. But again, you don't have a lot of flex slots in the non-creature area, and Severed Strands is not quite the effect that you want. Yeah, so we've been singing the praises of Golgari a little bit so far, which I think is correct. I think if you get a good Golgari deck, it's very good. But I think, you know, if you just jam some Golgari cards in your deck, you could be in a bit of trouble. There are quite a bit of Golgari cards that are gold that underperform. So what are some of those? All right, so uh, top of the list, I think, is Erstwhile Trooper. This is the one black green 2-2 where you can, like, discard a creature card to give it plus 2, plus 2, and trample until end of turn. That's card disadvantage. Like, yes, you're turning your creatures in hand to a quote-unquote free pump spell, but at the end of the day, then you're just left with a three-mana 2-2 that didn't do anything. Again, but I keep talking about you want cards that do something on their way to entering the battlefield or leaving the battlefield, and this does neither and is not what you want, and it has not made any of my Golgari decks yet. Golgari Raiders is another card I'm not crazy about. Like, this is the 0-0 with haste that comes into play with a plus and plus one counter on it for each creature in your graveyard. I want Rhizome Lurcher over this 10 out of 10 times. I don't think the haste Agree. is incredibly relevant. Molder Hulk is just a big, dumb creature. It's overcosted and infinitely chumpable, and I think you can do much better at the top end. Ocran Assassin, I think this is still fine, but it often just feels like a three-mana hired poisoner to me. It doesn't often end up doing the declare dominance thing that I think you and I thought it might when we saw it spoiled. And Moodmark Painter is the last on this list. I think Bigger Spore Worm just does a similar job to this and leaves behind a much more formidable body. I've not really been impressed by Moodmark Painter. I agree. I am slightly higher on Orkin Assassin, especially after realizing how well it works with Glaive of the Guild Pack. Mm. Um, so if you have a Glaive, I'm much more willing to run an Orkin Assassin. Um, but other than that, uh, that, that list of cards makes sense to me. One thing I don't see mentioned anywhere here is Lotless Giant. How do you feel about that card? You know, I probably should put it on my list of underperformers, though I've seen it you know, deal five to someone. I've died to it entering the battlefield. I think it's strong. I just feel like I haven't quite, it feels like it's sort of towing the line between like when the guild is wide open and the good rares and uncommons are opened. I don't have room for it at the top end, but I feel like if I did end up in the deck when I 
was mostly looking to be powered by commons and uncommons, it would be a strong finisher in that version. Yeah, that's kind of what I think too. It's just it's just a little too expensive, right? Yeah. Like you almost want you almost want Vigor Spore Worm over it. I think so. And and again, like how many of those you can't run so many of those expensive creatures because so much of your deck relies on cheap creatures finding their way to the graveyard. Yeah. Makes sense. So where are you at on the best Golgari cards? So I think the best Golgari commons are generally just going to be the best black cards. I think Deadweight, Deadly Visitor at the top of the list, followed by the cheap creatures that do something entering the battlefield, Burglar Rats and Generous Stray, and then Rhizome Lurcher as the fifth best of the Golgari commons. But I don't think you have to take it highly. I think one of the beautiful things about this deck is that Rhizome Lurcher is wheeling for you a lot. You get to take a card out of the pack, and then Rhizome Lurcher comes around when you see it the second time. Yeah, I think that's pretty telling about what Golgari looks like, is that the Golgari commons are single-colored cards. I think if you can stay away from a lot of the Golgari commons, Mm -hmm. your deck's going to be pretty good and get the gold uncommons and rares in your deck. That's where you want the Golgari cards to come. Right, what a difference that we're talking about. Well, is it? It's Sonic Assault, it's Piston Fist Cyclops, it's Electromancer, and here we're like, take good black cards and (laughs) maybe take Rhizome Lurcher, but only towards the end of the pack because then you know it's open, like... Yeah, the Trooper and Undercity Uprising are not the things that pull you into this deck. But I think, you know, I have my highest win rate with Golgari, and I think that's why. Because when you do get the Golgari deck and it has rares and uncommons in it, your deck's really powerful. Yeah, absolutely. So I talked at the beginning about it towing the line really well between aggro and control and being good matchups for both of those. So when you sideboard, I think you should have a lot of options, especially because when you're one of the benefits about drafting a green deck is you're probably the only person drafting that guild. And so you are going to have a lot of options. So when you're against an aggro deck, you should already be pretty well set up against those decks because of the amount of early drops you have that you're happy to trade with. I think you want to try and lower your curve even more. You want to bring in more life gain, more crawl foragers, bring in some child of knights, probably two power creatures over the burglar rats are going to be good. The, the, the two drop one ones may not get there a lot depending on what you're playing against. Like if you're against, is it aggro? You're going to need two two power creatures. If the issue is cheap flyers, you can bring in Hitchclaw Recluse and Crushing Canopy. And I would consider Mephitic Vapors based on the creatures you've seen. If you're seeing a lot of X1s, you're going to want to bring in Mephitic Vapors. Yeah, Golgari has felt very customizable to me yes. in sideboarding, which is sweet. Yeah, so against control decks, uh, while Demir and good versions of Is It Control are tough matchups, they are winnable. You have to decide, though, if you think you can do one of two things, if you can grind them out of resources or if you have to switch to be the beatdown. And that is going to determine how you sideboard. If you're trying to aggro them out, you bring in more early plays, more random bears like Devkar and Dissident or Ironshell Beetle, more overcost or more uh, beefy creatures like Wild Ceratok or Dowser of Lights. But if you want to outdurdle them, I think targeted hand disruption like never happened can be a powerful tool golgari locket can give you that extra source of card advantage you need to help go toe to toe with a surveil deck but yeah as ben said it's very customizable you have a lot of options and you should use those to their best effect after you see game one yeah and i think one of the best things golgari does is after sideboarding i just feel like i crush boros into oblivion but you just have so much incidental life gain and again you're already so well set up If, if you didn't already win game one you should be able to tweak it to where it's a favorable matchup and i think we've got one piece of business to take care of and that is the guilds of ravnica treasure hunt Ba-da-da. all right so here it is here it is all you sickos out there <laughs> number one big bird 
put four plus one plus one counters on a healer's hawk. Number two, attack of the clones. Quasi-duplicate on a beam splitter mage or cast expansion on quasi-duplicate. Number three, Angels Among Us, assemble Conclave Guild Mage and Divine Visitation to make a 4-4 angel every turn. Number four, Drown Them Out, use Drowned Secrets to mill your opponent out. Number five, Silent But Deadly, win the game with Atrata Hit Counters. Six, Duped, deal lethal damage with a spell copied by Thousand Year Storm. Number seven, do-it-yourself Plague Wind, cast Swathcutter Giant, and target it with status to wrath your opponent's board. I can't wait to do that one. Number eight, Gate Hoarder Gargoyle, control a gate of each guild to make an 8-8 or greater gargoyle on entering the battlefield. Number nine, loop-de-loop, cast Devious Cover-Up with zero cards left in your library to shuffle back in another Devious Cover-Up. Number ten, is it over? Win a game by dealing 20 damage in one turn. Number 11, Raiders of the Last Golgari. Swing with a 10-10 or larger Golgari Raiders. Number 12, Wheel of Friendship. Draw seven or more cards off of Camaraderie. Number 13, Mesmerizing. Use Invert plus Vidalcan Mesmerist to kill an opponent's creature. Number 14, Lich 2.0. Win with zero cards in your library with Underrealm Lich in play. And number 15, Teacher of the Year. Resolve three mentor triggers in one attack step. All right, so this is why we're doing our 15-hour uh, stream on Tuesday. For each achievement that is unlocked by the community at large, that is one hour of a 15-hour stream that Ben and I will do together. If you unlock five of these, you will be entered into a giveaway for a draft set on Magic Online. How do people go about announcing that to us, Ben? If you want to tweet at Lords of Limited with the hashtag GRN Treasure Hunt, or if you're not on Twitter, you can email us screenshots at Lords of Limited at gmail.com. This was a super sweet episode. I feel like I learned a lot about Is It. I felt like I learned a lot about Golgari trying to like type up the stuff and put it into words. I really appreciate you giving all your thoughtful expertise on uh, how you've been navigating Is It these past few drafts. I agree. Just forcing yourself to write it down is so good. I just like when I was writing it down, I was like, yep, yep. It's sort of stuff you like know subconsciously but articulating it just makes it feel so much more like yes i'm ready to do my next draft that was one of the reasons i thought our conversation about golgari on your stream the other night was so helpful was i you know i you, you kept being forced to have to articulate rather than just go like no i just i don't know it's just how i feel or it's just my experience like no you need to be able to put that into words because that is not only going to solidify for yourself but it's also going to be the only way you can communicate it to other people yep Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. Please be sure to tune into our 15-hour stream on October 16th. We're going to start at 9 a.m. on my Twitch channel. We're going to switch halfway through to Ben's channel. We'll go through till midnight. I am at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter. And, of course, we are also on Twitter at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.
No, oh, that's so bad. <laughs> can we please cut that out of the episode? Yes, we can. <laughs> can we not make that the blooper either, please? We cannot. We cannot make that the blooper. <laughs> okay. Uh... With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.